Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So I am beyond honored to have Jean Ann Ryan across from me on Zoom after many, many, many attempts. <laughs> so first, Jean Ann, I just want you to know, like, I've interviewed 174 people and you come up so often as credit for them as far as showgirl stuff, which I want to get into a whole conversation about that because we had a little bit before we started of the, what people think of the showgirl and how it's changed over time. But so many of them said like they auditioned and then when they worked for you, they came out with this confidence and embodiment of the showgirl instead of imitating the showgirl. And so many people talked about how much they love working on the ships. They, they, they just have great things to say, but mainly what they say, Jean Ann, is how much they love you. Ah. And so there's people I work for, like if I ran up to them somewhere, they would not have a clue who I am. But for you, there's an, a thing that comes up also is how you stay connected to your dancers Mm-hmm. And so many people say that when I had been pursuing this, uh, this interview with you, Hillary sent me a picture of you, her in Paris. I'm like, you're hanging out with Jean Ann. And she said, yeah, she comes through. I'm like, I want to hang out with Jean Ann. And then she, I just said, please tell Jean Ann that I want to do an interview. And so I started like asking, and then I started pestering. And then I reminded you of how persistent I could be. Because when I was doing a show in Montreal, I had heard about you and I go, that's my next thing. I have to work for Jean Ann Ryan on the cruise ships. So it was Joanne that was working the office mm-hmm. back then. I would call every couple she still weeks. Works. We didn't have- she still she really? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. See, that says yes. something too. When people stick with someone a long time, that says a lot. But I would call because we didn't have cell phones. So I had to like save up my money to call. And I'm like, Joanne, it's Sherry Pennington. Just letting you know, I still want to work for Jean Ann. She goes, we know, uh, we don't have any now, but keep calling back. And so I just kept calling. And then you had answered and said, are there good dancers in Montreal? I'll come up and do an audition there. And, and I said, yeah, because I love taking class. I used to get Le Ballet Jazz in Montreal. Yeah. I would take a jazz factor. I'm like, there's really good dancers here. So you came up and I remember that audition being good and hard. And then you came, I have to tell you this funny part. You came and saw the show that I was at, at the Chateau Champlain. Mm-hmm. I was so excited and I was so over the top with energy. And we had the pot of cease and the Scheherazade, the lift. I, I jumped so high that I went over my partner and over his back and he caught me by one foot <laughs> and he got off stage. He goes, calm down. <laughs> but I was like, I wanted that job and you were out there and I was giving maybe 200%, which a hundred is probably significant. 200 is like, you're going to hurt somebody. But I just, I was so excited when I got that job. And then I'm, this is just more things I wanted, like how we were either repositioning or dry dock or something, but our cast, which was Debbie Katz, Scott Lane, I think it was Jennifer and Christy Roy at that time. And you sent us a got us an arrangement for a car. We went to your apartment and had dinner in your apartment. And then we found out it was your birthday. I'm like, Jean chose for us to be here for her birthday. There's just things like that, that I will forget other things in my showbiz life or that stands out to me so much of how people will say that, that you remember them and they feel valued. Narvel, Oh my gosh. Narvel has great stories. Oh, love Narvel. Love Narvel. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, Jonah Wilkins. There's just all these people that yeah. speak, but they still say they stay in contact. Yeah. 
Because I remember you came to Seattle when the, the um, I don't remember what ship it was, when they first started to have the Seattle ports. And you and Howard invited me to come on and have dinner on the ship and see the show and have a tour of the show. And I'm like, who does this? What producer has this personal invite? And then I got to run a couple auditions um, for you in Seattle. Yeah. Which I was always sad because we not, would not get, we'd get terrible turnout of dancers who should not have been auditioning. So I think they stopped coming to Seattle. But there was one of the auditions that I, I helped out on. I don't know if one of them I gave choreography because I don't think you had a choreographer. So you told me like kind of what to give them. But you were at one in Seattle and you said, I have a show in Florida. It's at Once Upon a Stage. And it's a great show. I'm like, well, I just met this guy and I'm kind of, you know, kind of want to see how this works out. And then you said, I'll offer you company manager. I think you did it sing song. You like that too. <laughs> and I'm like, well, cause I thought I was done. I was not done. And so I went and told this big, who became my husband, um, that this offer, he goes, you have to take that. And you'll be mad at me if you don't go. And if you got one more in you go do it. And it, that was for once upon a stage in Orlando. And that was so much fun. Uh. But I just feel like over the years, like when I did message you, this is my favorite part. I said, Jean, my name used to be Sherry Pennington. And I was telling all the shows, you go, Sherry, I know you. I remember you. And I went, you do? That kills me when you do that. That's like, what? That's but I know crazy. you've seen thousands and thousands of dancers. That's why I think it's amazing because, you know, there's teachers at my studio that have a few, have 40, you know, like three years later, like, who are you? So to have as many dancers who have come through your company and some of, I only did seven months on the ship. Some people did years and then mm -hmm. I did Florida, but I go, that just is really a different kind of a person. Like it wasn't just business. I feel like you really cared about us. So there, there is something that that's why it felt important to reach out because the people that will hear this, especially the ones that want to listen to because they know you, it's because they really love what you offer them as a dancer as a career choice, some people have a chance to save money for the first time in their dance career. Yeah, really and then to be exposed to other things or to go, there's world crews, there's all these other things. So that is my gushing thing before I even let you talk is that um, <laughs> it's you. weird after 40 years to realize like how much memory just falls out the back of your head and how much stays there because there's something significant of the people you work for. Is that what? Say it again. The significance of who it is you work for. Not like that was a good show or I like the costumes and, but like the people that are over you that are not just, you're not, we're not just grunts <laughs> you know, making you money that there were, there were people that, you know, treated us really well in the business. Cause I think dancers get so used to table scraps sometimes. And so you go, I'm getting paid and I, and this is really fun. And I think my boss likes me. <laughs> <laughs> so I did watch a couple of the interviews that you had done and it was so fun to see Jean Ann in her maybe twenties in that video. Cause I don't know how old you were when I started, but I remember seeing you teach at your studio and you're like this Sprite, like you're tiny dynamo whacking your head with your kicks. Cause I think you were teaching full out when I started working for you. And I remember going, damn, like she's not just overseeing, like she's still doing the thing. And you had a little bit of that funk yeah. bit and then your ballet. And so I liked in the interview to hear more about like where you trained because most of us did these shows and didn't really know anybody's history of what they did because we didn't have the internet. We just know, well, she must've done something. So <laughs> how'd she get here? So I loved listening to that interview and going, oh, I think I've only heard a tiny sliver of, of what your career was that got you to that point. So if okay. you wouldn't mind just sharing, like even why you started dancing, like what got you into it? 
my mother was a dance teacher. So for, for starters, there was no choice. Uh, <laughs> for starters, and she was waiting for a girl. So she, I have two older brothers. And so when I came along, it was like, oh, finally, she will go into class and she will, she will learn how to dance. My mother was very smart, though. She learned very quickly that I wasn't going to learn anything from her. And so she, <laughs> she very, and wisely and very confidently, sent me away to, to train. And um, I come from Cincinnati and we had one of the best conservatories. It was Cincinnati Conservatory. Of yeah. Music. My, my ballet teacher was Suzanne Farrell, which- That was, blew me away. Yeah, that was my idol. That was my poster in my bedroom was Suzanne yeah. Farrell, Peter Martin yeah. together. Exactly. And, well, and Peter Martin's son, by the way, teaches at Westside where I take class now. Um, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then Leroy Reams was my tap teacher, and uh, Karen Baker, who did all the Forty Second Streets, was my jazz teacher. Oh my so, gosh! So we had the best. We were there to be ballerinas. We were there to be trained ballerinas. But they made sure that you had like five minutes of tap, five minutes of acrobatics. Like uh, I can still do a you know walk over into a split. Oh my gosh! So, you know you you had to to do that and. This school was so good that often George Balanchine would come in and Agnes DeMille would come in. And then I was saying before, I, I was there the day that Balanchine saw Suzanne Farrell and she was gone. And you know, those are their sisters. Her sister, uh, they were, their name was Ficker. So it was the Ficker sisters and her sister was a great pianist too. So there was so much talent. But I, I was very, very well trained. And by the time, you know, it, when you're trained, you're, you're, by the time you're 13, you're trained. You better be yeah. trained um, or you're going to have a very different career. And was this school to help dancers get into the professional world or was it, this is training, whatever you're going to do with it? Or was it really simply to a get conservatory you where you walk in and there would be violins, there would be all of the orchestra would be training and and these were you were just training to be a ballerina to be picked and go away and be in a ballet company so but and i'm small so i was still a little small for that um but i i'm so grateful for that training it has served me well and it serves me well today because yeah. i'm still i'm still cranking out two-hour professional ballet class. So I'm, I'm so, so happy with that training. And then just to speak to your people, why I'm in touch with everybody, it's because I feel that I was very, always very carefully selecting who I hired. And I only took the best, the best of the best, and they better be trained. And they better have another little bag of tricks on the side. <laughs> Basically, they had to be trained. And I love people like that. You know, those are the people I want to be with because I want to know. So I, I want to ask them the same question. So how, how did you get so good? Who, who did you train with? And, and I, you know, I have the same questions of them. And honestly, the, the, the first Norway company, which was the really first really big company for a, a ship, I'm still in touch with almost every one of them. Those people. What year was that? Because I got hired 80, in 80. 90, 
80. Okay. Cause Maureen Eisman and I auditioned at the same time and she got put on the Norway and I got on the small ships. So we would pass in the night. Like, but I thought it was pretty close to maybe it was like two years after I started, but that was such a big deal. The Norway was the, it was everything, it was right? Yeah. It was a big deal. It was a very big deal. I was, um, I, I start when they, I was happened to be in Florida because I was living in New York and I hated the winter and I would take whatever show went south for, for the winter. And I think I was touring in a My Fair Lady with Noel Harrison, I think it was in that show. And so I got into Florida and you know, just doing one show at night was pretty dull for me because I, I had done a lot. And so I would teach everything. I would teach class. I would, that class I was teaching, I actually started building it at that point. And the director of entertainment for Norwegian Cruise Line uh, had seen me do something. Oh, I did something at the, one of the big theaters in Miami. He saw it. And he asked if I could do something. And that was the beginning of the White Ships, which was just right before the Norway. Then finally, um, Knut Koster bought the SS France. And then they picked yeah. me up to go to Bremerhaven where the ship was being refitted, totally renovated. And I was in charge of the public rooms, the two public performance rooms and the theater to spec the equipment, to design the theater, and then to build the show and the program for those rooms. So, and you know, this, this was done by Peter Compton who is a real visionary. When he left Norwegian Cruise Line, he went to Royal Caribbean and set up, did the same thing there. So this is a man who has had a real vision and he put, not only did, I, I think I had a cast of 25. So it's a, you had a big Broadway cast that did in rep with a Las Vegas show in rep with a kind of a review. Then he had a full big band on board and name entertainers. We had a star every week. So it was a very big program and very famous interior designer. Um, we, and the, the architect was Tagi Vomborg and the, um, the designer, I've forgotten his name now, but anyway, those two were always clashing. And I was like, you guys can fight somewhere else. I need seats in the theater. I need parking. You all need to, you know, get along. So, um, uh, it, it was, oh, Angelo Dangia, that's it. His, cause his stuff and his fabrics and stuff still exists today. So it was, it was quite the experience. I want to um, ask, like, you're going to be a ballerina, but then was there like a gradual thing into musical theater? Cause to go from that into like, cause I listened to your interview too. Like you're doing costumes and sets. Like, were you learning that in the conservatory? Cause it's not just like, I'm going to choreograph. You have to have the vision you have to know how things work you can't hope someone knows how to give you lighting and costumes that fit what yeah. you're doing so what what was that transition or was it all just kind of layered from everything else you're doing no no that that there was a foundation for that so you know by the time so I was trained and then by the time I was performing at the conservatory and by the time that you're 17 you're trained and so it was time for college. So when I went to college, I took a business major, but I took everything that was in performing arts as electives. So there to this day, so then my little conservatory closed. And then later 
the new conservatory opened at the University of Cincinnati, which is the one that's there today and has yeah. an excellent musical theater program. And so I was doing everything in college. I was, so they were just setting up that musical theater program when I was there. So they, you know, they asked, so I choreographed everything. I choreographed for the musical theater department. I choreographed for the opera department. I choreographed for anybody who needed anything, steps put together, I, they would call on me to do that. And then just through that experience, you're, the, you have to do everything. So, okay, I want that set and I want the costume to look like this. And you, you have to do everything because there's no other, uh, there's no other organization at that time to do that for you. At the same time, I was performing uh, in, in theater. So I was performing on the star system. So I really made a career out of Hello Dolly and Fiddler on the Roof. So I did Hello Dolly with Ann Miller, Betty White, Edie Adams. Oh. Uh, wow. <laughs> I, directed, I directed Betty White and Edie Adams in, in uh, Hello Dolly. I did Minnie Faye. And oh, fun. Um, I, I, so I did that forever. And again, when you're in that, you're learning, you're learning, you're learning about, uh, I was always curious. So I was watching how they lit and how, the, you know, miking at that time was not what it is today. And you better be able to project because these were big two 2,500 seat theaters and you, you, bet, you know, you had overhead six mics and you better be able to project. So you, you learn a lot through that process. And also at that time, the people in the same period of time, which is my college career, they were setting up theme parks and uh, it was a new uh, project that was going on. And they came and picked the Jack Rouse, who was the one who set up the musical theater department at the Cincinnati Conservatory. And he picked me to be part of the creative force around these parks. And these were big parks. They started out called Taft and then they were called Paramount. And I think, I don't know what they're called today, but they, they were, they were really excellent parks with really excellent programs. There was Kings, Kings Island and Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. Kings Dominion in Richmond, uh, something America in San Clarita. We did one in Australia, Canada's Wonderland in Toronto. So these were really big, they were big theaters. We were doing really big shows and I was casting 2000 people at a time. I had to cast everybody. For all oh my God. <laughs> so I had to do all of that. And um, also, I'm still in touch with those people because some of those people became very famous. So Sergio Trujillo, you, you must know who that is. You know, he, he did got Tony for Jersey Boys and 10 other shows. Andy Blankenbuehler. Oh, Canada. yes. Yeah. These, are, these people all came through that process and choreographed for me. You know, so it was a real training ground because what we were doing was so good in these theme parks. We were picking the best of the best. And then I had them young so I could get them young, train them, put them. When you do a season of theme parks, you are ready for the cruise ship. Right. And then, and then we would be ready for they go to the cruise ship. And I'm like, now you're going to be a show girl. OK, now that's going to look like this. And then and then often 
we would trade with Lido and Moulin Rouge when they finished there, we would send dancers back and forth. That's for some of, okay. So I'm curious about the showgirl thing because the a podcast is about bluebells and all of us, I, we, before we recorded how back in the day, even some of those, they don't want, they still don't want to say showgirl because that meant you weren't a dancer mm-hmm. and it's changed over the years. So I would love, cause you had some really great perspective because now this younger cast that at the Lido that finished proudly call themselves showgirls and they are dancing. Cause it, I think, you know, in the fifties and sixties, the showgirls were more like mannequins. And then it changed because in Hello, Hollywood, Hello, I was a tall nude, but we danced just as much. We, you know, I think Top Hat was, but we, we did dance as much because I kept feeling justifying. Like, no, I really danced. I'm not a, you have to say you're not a stripper because people think showgirl. But what was your lead in to showgirls to even want to put this in the show? You know, you've come from ballet world and musical theater and showgirl. So I connects just, well. I was, was in love, I was in love with it, with the showgirls. Mm. I was in love with what Moulin Rouge was doing, what Lita was doing. I was a big fan of Crazy Horse. Those girls had zero body fat, zero. (laughs) And I was just like, so, so impressed with that. And I was like, this, I, you know, I want to introduce this to the world, you know, on the cruise industry. That was a battle because uh, the, that cruise industry was really stuck in a conservative Event. So it, it was not like, oh, yeah, bring that on. It was like, uh, we'll see. And when mm-hmm. I would get these beautiful, well-trained dancers to the ship and I'd say, this is OK, now this is what we're going to do. It's, it's going to be beautiful. And they'll be like, oh, no, no, I don't think I can wear that bikini. On. Oh, no, no, you can wear this bikini. <laughs> It's a pretty bikini and it's, it's got sparkles jewelry and you get to you know show your body, which is magnificent. You spent your whole life training your body to look like that. And um, slowly it changed, but very slowly. And the, the, the cruise line is still conservative. We're still, there are no G-strings for, from the lines that I'm doing. There are no G-strings there. We're still wearing pretty much. And a French cut. Yeah, was, that was friend. the first show. I, yeah. That show that I did with you is the most I've ever worn on stage before, because um, it was a French, the French cut. Yeah, but it is like you've got like some we call it the blue hair group, which was you know that's terrible, but it's the older people. But some of them are way more open to it than the younger ones, which is bizarre. Yeah, but also I loved like the bluebell thing of getting to be elegant and still dancing hard in some numbers. But I loved on the ship when I swept my eyelashes off. I felt like that was a good show. Because you sweat so hard because you're dancing hard in those shows, which you can't do in this show, girl. I, there was one night I did a, it was a double pirouette into something, which is fun on a ship that rocks. Yeah, my eyelash flew off, and on my second went turn around, I caught it in my because <laughs> I saw it fly by, <laughs> and I was like, that was a good night. I mean, you don't want to do that to the audience, but it was there is something of getting to give you the showgirls in yours and getting to do. I go to Rio or, oh my gosh, the country western thing which was just like you know we're get to sweat in those shows so i think as a dancer if you only do one or the other yeah you kind of you don't get to branch out in those other capacities that you didn't know you had i think uh, i was saying before is what i'm see i see a big change today from the attitude about showgirl in australia and in in england they 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 want to be a showgirl. They'd rather be a showgirl. I, I I think showgirl is right up there with West End Experience. I really do. Oh, really? I, 
I think they, because, I, and I think it's about, yeah, I, I, I did train and I've got a great body and I want to show it. You know, I, I see a really big difference now. And um, so it's so much easier to cast now. Right. It's a lot easier and they have beautiful bodies and, but they're perfectly trained and they're trained in all aspects of, of dance. And most of them can sing and act as well. So yeah. good, good triple threats all the way around. Took a while to wow. get there, but yeah. You know, and in Europe, they have all the palazzos. So those are all showgirl shows where really? they, they are big tents and they're everywhere. They're in Switzerland, Germany, France, they're everywhere. And it, these, these dancers love it because they can um, they can see a different place. They're in a beautiful place. They, they get to be showgirls and they have a really good time. So it's, it's, it's interesting it's just, to me. Yeah. Cause people were saying, you know, after Jubilee closed, Hello Hall, like, like I was saying, like Greg Thompson, all these producers that all of us worked for, except for you are done. Um, but then I found out some people that all these things that were happening in Paris, like smaller cabarets and then the something like the Cirque, Circus, not Cirque du Soleil, but there's Cirque thing in Paris too, which Benadrone, I think I'm gonna get that wrong. But I had no idea that there was more that, that I didn't know anything about uh, Perry de la Tonne. Like I kept hearing Lido and Moulin Rouge. I didn't realize that Nouvelle Lab, some of those were, had been there for years. So I think when people keep seeing the showgirl was going away and they're like, no, there's, no. there's still things don't give up because there are people that are still doing it beautifully instead of assuming just because Alito's done that the whole thing's gone away. Well, and one of the reasons I go to Paris now in the winter is there's a big competition called Soque de Demain, and it's for new acts. So, so these are acts that have put their acts together and they're phenomenal, but they're not ready yet. They're doing them in blue jeans or, you know, they don't have the right costume and the right makeup, but they have the talent. And so when I first started going there, one time I was right next to Dragon on one side and I had the um, Gilles on the other side and I was in the middle and I was like, okay, after you take yours and you take yours, I'll get the, I'll <laughs> the rest. <laughs> and so, wow. and, and then you, so these, and these are one of the ones that when you see a Cirque du Soleil, Alegria or any of those, those people most likely have come through here, come through that, that really? competition. And uh, it's very good, but the, the, the cutoff age, which surprised me, 26 after 26 you can't audition that's Whoa. it it's, oh, it's people a are starting thing. to get but seasoned I, it's what i took hillary to because i knew she would enjoy it and i don't think she'd been and i always have great seats and it's really really entertaining i thought it was done with paris and alito clothes i'm like nope now i gotta go back and see what they're all doing because new things are gonna come yeah so i want to go i kind of wanted when i came to see the show was it the it was not the Rotterdam? What was the one that was out of Seattle that I met you on? What ship was that? I think it was it was the first time that Seattle had opened up actually a pier for cruise ships, and that was one of the first ships. I don't remember what ship it was. I know what you're but, talking about. I don't remember which ship. But when we did this, the white ships, the band was behind us. It was a dance floor, so anybody yep. four rows back only sees from your mid thigh up. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So you can sickle your feet. No, you wouldn't want to do that. But um, it was so when I saw that show and they had a stage. I think because they did a bit from Chicago. I don't know if, I think it was the best of Broadway mm -hmm. and the dressing room, because I've seen things now. Like I went out on crystal cruises a couple of years ago. I got to teach class and get a free cruise. And I was like, when did this happen? 
where there's Ariel and they did five different shows. Like we just did sea legs and then we did like a roaring twenties, uh, yeah. cruise ship staff thing, cruise which ship. was fun. That was fun. But they were, I saw them do like a, through the decades around the world, an icon one, a best of Broadway, and they were dancing their butts off. Mm. But I'd be like, wow, the stage is different. And I don't know the evolution of what you saw to, I mean, the, the white ships were super fun. We got dressed next to the Pac-Man machine with a sheet covering <laughs> the audience. Oh, the yeah. Right, right, right. It was like yeah. going, walking through the bar and it was like the same place you were just eating lunch before, but it was, it was so fun. But when I saw that, I went, okay, things have upped their game. And I feel like the ships are pretty competitive as far as who dancers want to dance for. And also mm-hmm. the audience, a lot of things are going away other places, but on the ships, they have a high expectation for their entertainment. Or before I think people are like happy with whatever. And it's yeah. definitely seemed like the game has gone. The bar has risen significantly. To my surprise, it took the ships a long time to catch up to the Norway. It took them a long time. I think Norway recreated the first proscenium theater. And yeah. it took many, many years before they, they started to pick up. And, and I did a lot of them. Like I brought celebrity out and, pop, and with big, big showrooms with hydraulics, everything electric. I mean, full, full LED walls. I mean, so I, I was a big part of that evolution, but it, yeah. to get that commitment, it, it took a, a very long time. And then with that, the shows had to be, I think too, I think we did the first Cirque on Celebrity when we brought out Galaxy. And um, I had just picked some of my best uh, aerialists that, and we, we were training them. We were training when they come to rehearsal in Florida, they were training in aerial before they went out. We had a big training. And so they would be doing an, an, a Cirque show. They would be doing a Broadway show. They would be doing a Vegas show. They, they were cranking out shows, uh, from that point on, but, um, it's, and and then the competition was was fierce so, yeah which it is today it's fierce I mean it's um and everybody's fighting you know and I love when they're saying um there was some article that came out said Royal Caribbean did the first Broadway show that was wrong by about 20 years if they had done their homework they would have realized it was Peter Compton who did it first on NCL and then later on Royal Caribbean. So they, it was just like, really? I don't think Peter Compton would be happy to hear this, but we were doing, we had to top, we had to top ourselves. We were constantly reinventing ourselves. And that is why I brought Cameron McIntosh and Andrew Lloyd Webber to the high seas and that was probably the major coup of my career. Major. Can you talk about that? Was in that interview yeah, of like you asking? Yeah. I think I want you to tell the Greece thing too. Like when you're asking, like, can we have this version of the song? I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, she's ballsy and she gets it done. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, it, it was uh, also Robert Stigwood. So it started with I needed something different. And I was in London and I had seen a benefit for Cameron McIntosh, but with every big, big star in the West on every major star, West End star you ever heard of was there singing the praises to Cameron. So I went to Cameron and said, I would like to do that on a cruise ship. And he said, I think we can do that. I was like, okay, good. So 
So the show was called Hey Mr. Producer because it was a benefit. It was a benefit for some charity, but it was the producer being Cameron McIntosh. And so we did the same thing. He was a dream. He gave us the original costumes from Les Mis, the original costumes from Witches of Eastwick. I met Matthew Bourne, Matthew Bourne, like anything we can do for you. Um, we had we had the original, be, because it was uh, a show of many shows put together in one show. So we had the scenic designers, costume designers from every show. So we were doing full rights for these shows. So also from the beginning of my career, we didn't do anything that wasn't licensed. If we put right. it out there, it was licensed. We were paying the proper royalties and those people were getting credit for what they did. And mm. so it was, um, it was a big, big endeavor. And, but Cameron was so thrilled. I think he saw this as a new venue to, for the world to get to know him. And yeah. it was very, very, very exciting. And he, he would come on board. I'm telling you, he did more than one opening night speech for me. However, he had expectations that were not real when he was one of the shows, he said, that drop is moving. I was like, yeah, it's a show. The moving crib. <laughs> and the drops are going to move. And my poor nephew was working for me at that time. And I was like, Jimmy Ryan, go up there. And, and I don't care what you do, but that drop cannot move when he comes <laughs> back in. And I think when he was finished, he was in a suit. He was up on the catwalk hanging over, holding the drum <gasps> this for the whole show, for the show. When oh my he, gosh. When he came down, he was covered in a pool of sweat and hands were like bleeding. Cameron thought, you know, he gave a directive and we fixed it. Oh my and God. And then after that, we brought Andrew Lloyd Webber and, uh, and we were, that was collaborative with Andrew because we did a show together that hadn't been done, uh, which was called Masquerade. And then I did Rob, with Robert Stigwood, I brought Saturday Night Fever. And then also I brought the, the Dicey show to get was Grease. Um, but I brought Jim Jacobs on board with me to, to put that up. And Walter Bobby, who's the Chicago director of, of all Chicago companies. And we, so we put this together and we were, you know, you're hard rights. You have to say every word and every intonation as done originally. So you don't get to mess around with it. But Jim was there and I was like, you know, Jim, there's a really cool song that's in the movie. Do you think we can put that in? He said, yeah, I think we can do that. You, there's nobody further to go to. When you have right. the, the, the man, that, that's a short walk to, to get permission. <laughs> Well, they so, must have seen to know yeah. to trust you that I think and if you get those dirty, people yeah. to see that yeah. they're not. Yeah. Wow. Because it's like um, Jilly Tasker worked for you. Um, yeah. She taught she was saying how the passengers will sometimes come up to these dancers. It's like you should do this professionally. I know. Or you should think about Broadway. Go. We did Broadway. Yeah. And yeah. then we came here where people think like you like these are Broadway level performers. And yes. Vegas and all that. They weren't like, this is your training ground. This like, no, we've been doing it. We are professional. But I think people somehow think on the ship. Well, I remember being asked if we were flown in every day. I said, yeah, they drop us. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, where we live, we're out in a rowboat somewhere and they let us on for the show. But they think they're always amazed. Like, 
this is your life. You are really professional getting paid to do this. I don't think that attitude has changed yet. Oh my gosh. That was always so annoying to me because I, when I did the original Barnum, Michael Crawford was going to come. He was going to do Barnum because I studied it in London. So I wanted to do Barnum because I wanted to do a circus show. And so I went to see Michael and his show and, uh, and he, he's a lovely, friendly guy. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll, you know, I'll do it. He said, I'm in rehearsal for this thing right now called Phantom, but I, you know, <laughs> literally, literally, oh my God. So I, I, I took that whole London company, all the principals and brought that to the Norway to do Barnum and Michael and I be, were, are still friends today. He constantly sent talent to me. He'd always say, you go work for her. Even when he was doing that show in Vegas, he would send people to me. He was, he was very, very good. But so we had every principal that had done the show on Broadway or on the West End. And these people are still saying, so what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm like, wow, right. read your program. You know, we have a program. Check my bio. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I never understood that. I honestly doubt that it's much, they get that these are Broadway shows but they don't, they don't get it. They, I think it will require a bigger marketing push. So when I started mm. in 1980, marketing came out and said, we have, actually, we have Gene and Ryan and we have the Sea Legs Review and, and this is the greatest thing. And it was the greatest mm-hmm. thing because that was how they had a commitment to entertainment that's how they marketed. When people came on that ship, they knew that those people were bona fide artists that had trained all their lives to, you know, to get there. So uh, it requires a real commitment from marketing. I right. know the, the brand is the, the latest game or the latest uh, outdoor event, you know, and entertainment is important, but it's just one of 20 things. And in, in 1980, we were it. We were it. They, they had a private island. That was about it. It was us. Yeah, yeah. And then a private <laughs> island. And you know, that was pretty much it. So well, I knew you were the one I wanted to work for because I knew, I, you know, I think Carnival Princess, that I'm like, no, it's Jean Ann because I'd already heard your reputation. Like I could have gone for the other ones. But like, no, I will keep bugging Jean Ann until I get on with Jean Ann because your reputation, that was only. 82. So you hadn't even been doing that long. So your reputation was already, you were the queen. You were the one that we wanted to work for. That's interesting. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like, there's other ones, but no, I've also put my time in. I've been dancing professionals. So if you get, you don't like, I don't want to go down. I want to go up. Yeah. Exactly. I love that when I did the um, once upon a stage in Orlando, mm-hmm. we had Michael Lichtefeld, which I didn't, I knew he had done some Broadway stuff. And then I read his bio later. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> we oh, had yeah. this it was amazing. And I also, when you hired me, I don't know if you asked him if I tapped, I didn't tap. And so the first thing we're doing is 42nd street. And I'm just like almost crying. Like, I think I should have told someone I don't tap. And I come up to Michael, like, just so you know, I don't tap. He goes, Oh yes, it's apparent, <laughs> but he helped me. And then we had a clogging number in, um, it says Dan, it's from hello Dolly. I think it was that one. It ended up being my favorite thing in the show was doing 42nd. And that I'm wondering too, because we did Barnum, which I fell in love with that musical. No one does it. I wish someone would bring Barnum back. I, I agree. But we had like our, our um, My Fair Lady costumes were, so those were from the 
full production that you did on the ships that when yeah. you did those shows, you could bring, cause that's like way beyond what once upon a stage, those costumes were beyond what that showroom was. And it was just like, you yes. walk into this place where they roll out the, the buffet and they roll it back. And then yeah. it's like, the show just goes to the extreme. Like I have pictures of me and then my fair lady. I'm like, these are the same as my friends that did on Broadway. So beautiful. But yeah, Michael Lichterfeld and well, I'm working with Gene and Ryan choreography. I think when I did sea legs was that, all your choreography. I yeah. think you, there's a few people that you yeah. came that maybe did one number when you changed something over. I go well, to Rio. I know that Debbie and I got yeah. to do that. I think that was the you. First, the first and second sea legs. I did all of it. Directed, it, so it. I did all of it. it, was, it was I got the music in me. I watched <laughs> that and I'm like, how do we still have necks? Yeah. <laughs> it was that head, yeah. this movement, and then I, yeah, I, the I kick, yeah. layout go back up, lay back out, double pirouette. And I'm like, our young dancers couldn't pull that off. These people I look at now, I'm like, try this, yeah. add feathers and add a rocking ship. That's exactly. what Jean Ann expected. And that's what we're going to give her. Yeah, exactly. So when things were getting bigger, I think on the interview, I was amazed by how many things you had happening at once because you were expanding on ships and on land. I mean, did you ever hit capacity? Like, no, I can't do anymore. Or you just find another... What, what, I to pull from. You, what I can tell you is that I had no life, uh, but I, I wasn't bemoaning that because I loved what I was doing. I was constantly creating new things and meeting new people and working with just talented and creative people. But it, it, it was a lot. So, you know, we had a show for the Olympics in Seoul, Korea. I, I took like 40 Americans to Seoul, Korea. And um, I, there was a show in Miami, a big, big famous show at the Sheraton Bell Harbor. I did that. Oh, yeah. I did, there, there was stuff in Pittsburgh I did uh, and, and New Orleans. And so, and I was building theaters, building shows and building ships. So yeah, there, there, there was a period of time where I was like, uh, this, is, this is a lot, this is a lot. But we got through, I had, not because of me, because of my team. My team, they knew what to do. They, we, we were more experienced than anybody in doing it. We knew how to be efficient to do it. We knew how to treat our people, how to keep them. And so we had just so much experience, we could do it. I, I, I wouldn't want to do that again today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but glad I did it when I did. But I, I think it was a lot. It was a lot. Because you were seeing it expand, like more cruise lines are adding, because you did set the bar, which is good. If we started out with crap, it would have stayed there. But because we started out with your high standard, people, I think, at least hope to get there. So then you see more and more people come in. But then also you see the, the change where there's less and less opportunity and you're still hanging in there. <laughs> do you, and we because sometimes like maybe we expanded too much too fast or like just the industry changed but you you were still in there bringing this excellence when other things were kind of starting to fall off maybe not able to do it or dancers are like I want to do this I don't want to do this yeah I think you have to be careful uh, for sure I never cut off any more than what I could do so uh if I didn't think I could do it well I I would choose not to <laughs> to do it but um, it's also, though, those of us in the business find it very hard to say no 
too. Mm-hmm. So, so that that was that was a hard thing. I once opened the sh- the show for the Olympics. I opened that show in Seoul, Korea. Flew to New York, and because of the time zone, opened a show in New York <laughs> on, the oh same day, on the same day. On the same. Oh day. my gosh! Yeah, and then also we we are, you know, my staff. We're all theater people. And we're all trained, but we're all, but we're theater people. And uh, so we come from New York. So, you know, out here I'm in Malibu now and here, everybody here is in film and they, they, you know, they, a lot of people are not sure who Cameron McIntosh is. So uh, we, we, you know, we came from that, but I think that uh, in, in our expansion, one of the things we always wanted to do was to produce our own Broadway show. I don't, I don't think post COVID I would try that now. Yeah. Uh, too many, too many well-established shows are closing. It's not the climate for it, but yeah. we are very much always looking for properties. We, we are backing Broadway shows. We're backing people we're trying to give back where we can. So we're kind of expanding in that area that the, the industry would have to get a lot healthier before we would try to produce our own Broadway show. Wow. So it's you, a, dream, a dream. Yeah. So when you say backing and supporting, is it just resource or people money. or money? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like you, first kind of like you want to give back. Cause I think that's really beautiful. People get to a point like, Nope, I've earned this. This is, I struggle to get here and I'm going to keep it all. Like, I think that's really beautiful when artists understand that the next generation needs a little bit of it. Well, luckily, we get asked all the time to speak to to people. I actually just today I was asked to to speak at uh, at Westside, and this is a really famous ballet school. And I'm like, do you really know exactly what I do? Because like I don't. What I remember also is when I was in Florida, I taught at the Atlantic Foundation, and that was started up by a woman from Harkness. Her name was Ruth Petronovich, and Harkness Foundation. And all that they did was train, not just ballet dancers, primas, prima. And so I, I was brought in to teach their jazz. Those kids hated me, hated jazz. They hated everything about it. And uh, yeah, I mean, they were like, oh, I can't believe I have to put these heels on and wear this leotard. And, you know, they just, but, but then a lot of those people went on to be, leads like um I'm, I'm just thinking one in particular uh mary catherine nutt became the lead and uh of was it jubilee might have been jubilee and you know, so they went on from there and and after they had their major ballet careers then they went on to do other things which were a lot more fun <sighs> that's what a lot of people i talk to that if you're in a ballet company and if you say vegas or cruise ships are like <sighs> so they feel like you're selling out and then when they experience like the ones that actually went in with that attitude, like I, it's beneath me. And then they go, Oh, this, but it is a, it's a weird to leave that world and know that your friends are thinking that you, that you're no longer as valuable. And then they see the shows and they see how hard you work. And like, well, if you're five foot 11 and you are not going to make it in a ballet company and someone offers ballet, not just like you can walk, you're a model. No, you have to have that beautiful training. Mm-hmm. I think it's nice to see it reclaimed that these, that it keeps coming up in interviews of how much ballet, like RAD so much across, like, especially our British girls of 
where they came from and said, no, you can't poo poo this when you see the, the work ethic and the, what they're putting out on stage. Yeah. It's um, it, it, it is so important. And again, it is still so surprising to me that, um, that these, (laughs) that now it is changing that these ones that are coming out of there's several good ballet schools in, in London, Northern ballet. And there, there are several, and I mean, they're coming out, they're auditioning for me in pink tights and buns and mm-hmm. they, they will, they were like, okay, I, I did that. Now I want to do this. <laughs> so wow. it's, it's great. It's, it's mm. great. Yeah. That's like, I think a lot of us want to, like we feel like we had to redeem the name and now it's kind of working in that direction. Yeah. So I want to ask, cause you, in the interview was four years ago, the one that I looked at, um, but land shows. So can you talk about like, what, what do you still have in the works right now? What's on land? What's on sea? Or is there anything happening as far as what you're producing? Right now we're working on uh, something in Florida, which was because of COVID, everything shut down. We yeah. went down, down to zero, down to nothing. Yeah. Everything land shows you, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything because nobody could be on stage next to each other singing or speaking. So everything came down. So we, we, this project was about to go then. Now we're trying to get it back up again, but it, it, it's, it's a big one and it will be on land. And, um, you know, I hope that we'll see something. It's just starting to open up now, but hopefully in the next year, mm. uh, we, we will hopefully, and then when you interview me again, I'll tell you about it. Yay. <laughs> uh, what part of Florida? Um, this one's actually in Fort Lauderdale, but there are several of them. It, 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 we, we, there would be several of them. It just happens to be this one is a big one and it's in Fort Lauderdale. And then our hope would be to expand to all of them. It's a brand and we'd want to expand. Really? Yeah, it's cool. That's It'll so be cool. exciting. You, yeah. yeah. We, we've talked to a lot of people who, when they retire, they thought they were supposed to just play cribbage and like, well, no, I feel more creative than I've ever felt. And now maybe I have the experience and a little bit more time and wisdom and, and I think people yeah. and knowledge. Yeah. Like you, yeah. all those things you had to learn to get there. It's like, well, yeah. why would you stop now when there's new, there's always something new and experience. So I just got uh, my itinerary. I'm going to go out on um, celebrity for two different cruises as a lecturer on bluebells. Ah. And, um, and so I have a book coming out and so they said, we'll do a book signing and all that. They're going to sell my books. I'm like, okay, this is something I didn't know to ask for. But my first one is they fly me to Rome and then we get off in Tampa. And then I'm doing one in March where I get on in Tampa and get off in Barcelona. So I can always adjust my schedule for a couple of days in Florida. Okay. So whatever you have going on. And plus yeah. if you're in Seattle, if I'm there, Gina, I want to take you out for coffee or cocktails or cookies or whatever is your thing these days. And just to um, and get, when are you in Rome? When are you in Rome? Um, in November. So we've, uh, I've been flying. I have a home in Tuscany and I'm going to be there in <gasps> October, in October. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I did go to Tuscany a few years ago. So I thought, well, if I'm going to Rome, cause I stayed at an Airbnb in, um, in Tuscany. And it was, she, it was a best meal I've ever had. We did a, a cooking class. I'm like, I will go just to see the Airbnb hostess yeah. and go to Tuscany. I'm like, well, if I'm in Rome, how can I not yeah. go to Florence? But yeah, if you're, cause you try, I'm going to get back in Paris. So we're going to, we're going to do this because you I'll, remembered my name and I have to, yeah. uh, as we close, remember I said, I was going to ask you a hard question. It could mm-hmm. be, what's the meaning of life? Um, but what I want to ask 
is if you would demonstrate the jar of, <laughs> because we're going to share this because remember, like I was having fun with, cause you were getting kind of fun and playful back instead of me just begging and said, if we do this, I said, I mean, I'm, um, resorting to bribery. And you said, I respond to bribery. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Exactly. So I said, if Nar- I can... Narvo helped. You should know Narvo. Narvo's advice helped. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Cause he, he is a deer. Like I got done with his interview and he goes, well, I want to keep talking. So then I <laughs> got back with him about his interview to fix things. And then Bill Strickland also worked for you. Mm-hmm. Bill and I talked forever and it's like, well, we want to keep talking. So I'm like, we just have to all go on a cruise or do something and like share stories because that, that bond it's, it's interesting with the bluebells, but also with the jar family, like other you're, producers, you're I, work, I don't find that. that. Yeah. You're the one to put that together. That group, half of those, that cast of uh nouvelle was always, they just had come off a ship for me. It, it was, okay. like, it was like, Oh, wow. Yeah, I recognize actually, and actually half of the, not half, but a lot of the Broadway Fosse cast were, were all of g- girls that had just fairly recently come oh, out. Yeah. Yeah. Did you work with Jelana Leffler? No. She did, she took forever to finally get into um, Chicago and then she couldn't get out of Chicago. She'd go to other jobs like, hey, can you come back in for six months? And she goes, I couldn't get in, then I couldn't get out. But because I know that, the, like she said, there's a lot of, of Broadway dancers that Fosse that were well the one I saw when you were in Seattle like these weren't people imitating Fosse they were like the real thing exactly and they weren't 20 I felt like there was something of their maturity exactly. like this is who I want to yeah. see Fosse I don't want to see yeah. 18 year olds do and their imitation of Fosse yeah yeah Definitely. so uh, can you show the jar I remember this and I have to look I at can, the video I can only do this part because I have shorts on so <laughs> and that you're not going to see but it's that it's kind that of is that's the jar because there was that. like a kick out yeah. and I would I have choreography that I would put an eight count in there and so many things I'm like this is the jar and I couldn't remember more than that but I would teach that I'm like you need to know this you need to know Jean <laughs> and Ryan so I will I'm gonna actually challenge everybody to send it what they think it is <laughs> and and one thing I did want to close because one thing that we talked about Miss Bluebell that was more profound to us now than when we realized is to be a businesswoman like for her to start what she started in the forties and fifties. And I interviewed these women who are now their eighties. They said, we did not know there was a choice, but to be a mother, a secretary, a wife, and to say, we had our own money. We traveled, we had freedom. We were looked after. And Ms. Bluebell was this great example. And for you too, because you didn't, you didn't just, you weren't a flash longevity matters as opposed to like you were a smart woman that you stayed in it. And I think for a lot of us women, it was really great to work for female producer. It was great to see that you were a good businesswoman because I think we take for granted women now don't, don't realize what it was like to have such a void of women with power that did it well. So that was another thing besides just the shows, but just to see a smart businesswoman with a heart (laughs) didn't fight to like exclude everybody because she made it like to invite others. say, Say though, that I was the very lucky recipient of that earlier movement of Bluebell and those women. I was a very lucky recipient because that, that movement started with them and there was a place for me. You know, yeah, were, yeah. You know I, I had the same thing. I was like, okay, I can do this. They did, I can do that. So, and we, and we so need that because yeah, yeah. it's like, we just dance and like, well, no, there's people that are now producing and 
all the other parts of the show business that we thought, no, we just dance. And like, I'm listening, especially these younger people that are making new avenues when the Lido closed, they have these formation classes of, you can do the business side of theater and just like, they're, they're running with it instead of like, nope, that's it. You got to be a mom, which is great being a mom. But if we thought that's all there is like, okay. Big world out there. (laughs) So if there's, there are people that still want to do this industry, do you, it's very different. Like I feel like video submissions is now the thing. Is there any advice of like how to not just think you can just film yourself and send it in like doing a nice pirouette? Um, Right now it's a lot about self tapes Um, and, and eventually we'll we'll go out in the field and audition again i'm still i still want to be careful because people are still getting sick so right right my calls are huge and they're just jam-packed in that room and so i'm gonna wait until i i feel like we're really safe to to do it but i think the self-tapes are very good but they should be short and they Mm -hmm. should show as much as you can do in in a minute two max and for us, we, we want a triple threat. We want to see you uh, dance. We want to see you act. And we want to hear you sing. And, and what we really want to know is that you can do double ballet pirouette in the first arabesque. That's what we know. That was, that was on that interview I watched. Because I remember giving an audition in Seattle for, for you. I think they had somebody come from your company mm-hmm. to video. And then they, and you said, give them, because I remember that, like turned out in heels. Like, well, nobody does that. And nobody practices that. And so they're always caught off guard. I'm like, you know what? 40 years later, if you audition, I bet you're still doing that. And, and Allison that, Hong, and like that well-trained Allison Hong. ballet girl can do it. She gets get yeah. that, that heel up there somehow they can do it. Oh, and Dave LaPay, Allison Hong. Yeah. That's it. And I remember, because, you know, I hired Olympians. And I remember um, Lance Rignall, who was the youngest American Olympian. I remember him saying to me, if you want to, because I don't didn't have time in Paris to always see what all those acrobats could do. He said, the best test for gymnasts is a clean handstand, handstand and stay there. And I was like, okay, that's like my first arabesque. Oh, so yeah. You can do a proper handstand and stay there. That's a very good indicator. Did you ever cut people after that? Cause sometimes if you, if they don't do a pirouette, the audition's done for that person. Like you don't need to show them anymore. Or did they do that? Then you wait and see if they can do the rest. Or was it sometimes that was the cut? Because I had to move, yeah. If they if they couldn't do that, they they were out. Mm. I mean, there were three things they had to do. If they could do one of the three, I wouldn't cut them. But if they couldn't yeah. do three, if they couldn't do any of them, um, they would be that would be somebody I could we couldn't work with. Wow. Yeah, because I gave my Parisian cabaret audition, I had them do a waltz combination across the floor with a fan just to put a few things in there. And it was like, you already know, like, yeah, but I can do a can can. I'm like, yeah, but if you can't do the waltz and point your feet, then that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I guess if you know, like, what is the foundation? What can we, what can we work on? We can work on style. We can work on other things, but a shaky if foundation. That, if you have that foundation, you also know they're not going to get hurt because right. They're going to do that can-can jump split and they're not going to get hurt. So that, that, that's a, one of the reasons too that we, that we do that to make sure that they're well-trained, they'll have, have a healthy time on board or wherever, and they'll leave as healthy as when they came in. So that was always important to us. Mm. So Jean, on be, 
Gina, on behalf of many, many, many people, I was going to read the list, but it's really long. They have red dots next to the name of those that I know that work for you. Um, but I, on behalf of them, I want to thank you and let you know how much we appreciate what you gave us, how much we respect what you do, and how much we want to celebrate that you're still you're still doing it. So you really, you know, people tell their stories 40 years later, like who's still in there? And what, what is Dot just like, I work for somebody that was there at one show, you know, like it, it means a lot in our story when we start to come back to this part of our life of the excellence that we got. Thank you. Thank you. Very kind. And thank you for sharing all of your talents with everyone and letting the world know what's important in this, in this mm. business. Thank you. So if I reach out like in a year, do I have to say my name was Sherry Pennington? I worked for you here. I, uh, we did. Sherry, what are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll just start with Gdan. How are you? Let's go for coffee. But I am exactly. gonna if you're in Rome and we'll, if we get around to it, if we're at the same time or in Florida, and you know, just to get together, I would absolutely love to take you out for. I would love that. My budget's about coffee. Maybe a cookie with that, but we can do it. I'm a tea drinker, but it's cheap. All right, let's do tea. (laughs) Much love to you from everybody and from myself, especially right now. Thank you, Jeannie. Thanks, Sherry.